Greetings, book lovers everywhere. I'm Etrian, and welcome to Etrian Talks. And today, I'm absolutely thrilled to sit down with the award-winning debut middle grade writer of medieval magic, Alyssa Wishingrad, the author behind The Vertigree Pond. Thank you so much for joining me on Etrian Talks, Alyssa. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really pleased to be here with you. Thank you so much. I'm excited for our conversation today. I'm excited as well. And please, as an understatement for me, because I am, I've been preparing for our interview for a while and I've been super duper excited. Nice. Your debut novel, The Vertigree Pawn, is one of the most unique middle grade books I've read and I truly loved it. One of my favorite things about your book is the ongoing theme of friendship. But friendship plays a bigger and different role than most other stories. From new friendships formed in unexpected ways, to hiding your truth in order to make a new friend and save the day, and finally, coming together when it mattered most. Wow. Why did you make friendship such a key part of the vertigree pawn? Uh, that's such a beautiful way to put it, E-Train. Am I breaking up or am I okay now? You're okay. Um, it's such a beautiful way to put it. I... I think more than family, and you know, our families really form who we are, but I think that it's really in our friendships, the ones that work and the ones that don't work, that we learn the most about ourselves. We can try out uh, being different people in our friendships. We can explore who we want to be in our friendships. I think it's really important and really fertile ground for growth uh, in these middle grade years, but also as we age and grow up and, and you know, grow into full formed adults. I, I think that friendships and relationships with others is, uh, it's fertile ground for growth. Definitely. And as a middle grader, I can certainly agree that friendships are really ch ever changing and super confusing because it's like this is the time like it's kind of like a transition from elementary school to middle school. And like you're finding your true friends, you're finding new friends, and you're also learning about yourself as a friend and as a person. So I think that you perfectly portrayed friendships in the Vertigree Pawn, and your protagonist Bo and all your characters, in fact, are so relatable to kids and adults alike in today's world. Yet your book is set hundreds of years ago. How did you manage to add such relatable characters despite the timeline your book takes place in? Uh, you know, have you ever heard the expression, the more things change, the more they stay the same? I think that that is really what this is. When I was a kid, I used to think people back then, people in history must have been so different than we are today. And the more I studied history and the more I read, I realized people are people. And even though what we do, what we wear, what we think, how we think changes and evolves through the, through the years, um, we are fundamentally, the way that we interact with each other, what we need from each other, how we uh, butt up against each other, that doesn't change. That's elemental, right? That's fundamental to who we are as humans. Uh, so I think that by placing it in a, setting it in a time that um, 
feels to the modern or the contemporary person is a little more brutal, right? A pre-industrial time period, it feels harder, right? Like yeah. life was harder. There was no electricity, there were no cars, we didn't have phones, we couldn't Zoom. Um, that it breaks society down to its more uh, basic level. Does that make sense? It it's easier sense. to look at, right? I think that the brutalities that exist in the land in this book, they exist today in uh, every corner of the globe, I think. Uh, but sometimes by taking many steps back, it makes it easier for us to be able to look around our own world and compare it to a time that's very distant and a world and a way of life that's very different from our way of life. Yeah. That is very profound, and you're so right about it, because the saying history repeats, each repeats itself is so true, although it also kind of feels like history is not really history, especially in the Verdigree Pond, because history is has stayed the same in a lot of aspects of our lives, like like you said, the, fun the fundamentals of what we think who we kind of are in society mm. and also just our needs as well and both the brutalities like you said and also like what we desire so that is that is such a profound answer and it's also very thought-provoking and I just popped out a bunch of information out of my mind like because I never really thought about it that way and also as a chess player I can tell you firsthand that reading Verdigris Pawn was like reading a story game of chess. It was thrilling, strategic, and extremely captivating as well. And since there's a Verdigris Pawn, which looks identical to a chess pawn including, included in the cover art, and Pawn is even in the title of your book, are you a chess player as well? Mm, I'm gonna have to confess that I am not a chess player. I Whoa. have tried to be a chess player. I love the, I, here's what I am though. I am a giant fan of strategy, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you strategize? And I think that chess is such a beautiful stand-in for, 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 well, not a stand-in, but it's, it's a great metaphor for always having to examine exactly what is happening, what could happen, what were the previous plays, what are the potential plays that I could take ahead of time. Uh, so no, I know it feels like a betrayal to confess that I'm really not a chess player, but I do wanna tell you and, um, and your listeners that I worked with a game designer uh, and we created a playable version of Fist. Yeah, I saw the YouTube video. It showed all the rules of Fist and how to play. Yeah, it's complex. It's a hard game to learn. And we talked about sort of making a, an, well, we do have a, um, a fundamental version called, um, oh gosh, Chickson. Um, oh gosh, I, this is so embarrassing. I'm forgetting what it's called. But we have a simpler game that you can just play with um, checker pieces as a, as a stepping stone to learning Fist but it's a complex game. It takes Bo a really long time to learn how to play this game. It takes him the entire story to learn how to 
strategize. Um, so, but if you ever play it, please let me know what your feedback is. Cause um, I will. it was I'll really fun making well. it playable. Hmm? I'm going to teach my dad as well. And Good. also yeah. I'm all, I'm really curious to know, did you basically make up all the rules? Um, can all the rules be found inside of the verdigree palm or? Yeah. Are yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. They can all. Yes. So okay. the game that James and I created is based fully on what happens in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, now I need to play Fist, and all of you mm -hmm. do as well, if you're strategic fans or actually are strategic in life. Yeah. And, uh, I, and all you need is a chessboard and a set of checkers to play. I have both of those, so I'm super excited to try it out. And a little birdie told me, Thanks, Bertie. Um, that you've signed another book deal for a new novel titled Between Monsters and Marvels, coming winter of 2023. And I'm so, so excited to read it. Can you share a little bit about your newest book? I can. It's actually going to be fall of 23 now. Oh. That's what happens in publishing. You can say one thing and then it's, it doesn't matter. I think it's going to be fall of 23. Um, yeah, Between Monsters and Marvels is... Uh, also takes place in a kind of quasi-historical time period, but this is 1910. This is mm -hmm. the turn of the century when the Industrial Revolution is going on and people's lives are changing daily. There's electric lights now and there are automobiles competing with carriages on the same roadways. Uh, this is the story of a girl named Dare Coates who has... Uh, grown up on an island called Barrows Bay, which is an enclave for the very, very wealthiest. Um, the island is protected by these trade winds that keep it, uh, the temperature a balmy 70 degrees. There's never any terrible storms. It's a paradise. Um, and Dare has grown up there, not because she's one of the privileged, but because her father is the captain of the guard which is a position that is now largely defunct. Uh, the, the captain of the guard was the person who would protect the, the uh, inhabitants of the island from the monsters that used to inhabit this island. Um, and Dare is not very well liked on this island. She does not strive to fit in. She does not strive to please as everybody else does. She does not want to be one of the Joneses, as they say. Mm -hmm. uh, but then one day, she is incredibly, incredibly close to her father. Uh, but one day he turns up dead. And while <laughs> I know it's awful, <laughs> it's awful. Um, she is bereft and she doesn't really believe the the story that the governor of the island delivers, which is that he was he was the, the victim of a robbery. Dare is beginning to suspect that the monsters have returned and she sets out to find out the truth of her father's death. In the course of that, um, she makes life for the governor of the island kind of uncomfortable. He has moved in and marries her mother in very short order, and they send her off to the mainland, which is um, the complete opposite of this island. It's 
polluted. It's this is where all the factories are. It's crowded. There's poverty. There's competition for for resources. It's a very difficult life there. Anyway, it's there in City on the Pike that Dare begins to uncover the truth about the monsters, what they were, and who are the real monsters. It's a great adventure. Uh, there's elements of theater, which pulls on my old background. Uh, there's some really wonderful, unexpected uh, friendships and a really satisfying twist at the end. And I'm excited for people to start to read it soon. Well, I love a good twist and I love theater. And I am a huge fan of, I guess you could call them murder mysteries. So I cannot wait for your next book. And speaking of your background in theater, I read that you, well, you were a caster for theater, film, and television. Mm -hmm. And that was all before you started writing Little Great Stories. And will you share a few things about your writing journey? Like, so first you were writing, then you jumped to casting, and then you went back to writing The Vertigree Pond. How did you find yourself in so many different media outlets and then just decided to go back to writing? So it's it's a it's a long journey, E-Train. I will tell you that. I uh, I went to college and I was going to be a playwright. Came out of college, I moved back to New York City. I got involved in an amazing theater company. I had brilliant, brilliant mentors. I was very lucky with the people that I got to study with and I was going to be a writer. And honestly, I was too results oriented. I would write mm -hmm. something and I'd sort of rip it out of my typewriter and be like, look what I did. I wasn't ready yet. I knew what revision was. I wasn't ready yet to do that really, really deep digging hard work of really, of revising. Um, and while I was in the city and I was working with this theater company, I, and I was working reading plays for theater companies, I stumbled into some work as an assistant to a casting director. And I hate to say it, that was easier work than doing the hard work of being mm -hmm. a writer. And, uh, and I did that for a good 15 years. I did TV, I did movies, I did theater. Um, and, but I, you know, writing was like always on my shoulder, sort of going, hello, you've got to get back to me, you've got to get back to me. And so when I had kids and moved out of the city, um, I was like, that's it, I've got to go back to writing. And I didn't want to go back to writing plays. By that time I had kids and I was reading a lot of more middle grade than I had since I was a kid myself and just fell in love with the possibilities that middle grade fantasy offers. Uh, and that's how I found my way back to writing. And, and I tell you this story because not everybody's writing journey is linear, right? Like, mm. you know, you, you can wanna write, um, and sometimes you got to cook for a while and sometimes you have to kick yourself back into working. So I think for me, it was okay to take that time away and do some other things and really, really get hungry for it and really, really want it. 
Well, you can't leave someone on voicemail for too long. You got back to writing, and you wrote an outstanding, beautiful, awesome middle grade book in the vertical pond. And I also feel like I am kind of someone that likes to show off my writing, at least to my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, although I feel like as I'm, I, I, I can't say mature because I'm not really, I'm, I'm 11. Um, but I think I am starting to learn as I talk to all you authors that you got to revise even if you don't want to. And yeah. But yes. I want to say that one thing about revising, um, it's really fun to draft. It's really fun to create the world. It's really fun to create the problems. I've learned that I've become the total opposite of who I was, to be honest, in that I think that the real juice, the real beauty of writing is in the revision. I often find that I leave myself little it's funny I'll drop little things in a draft when I'm first writing and I'll be like why is there a pigeon there I have no idea but there's a pigeon there and only through the process of revising do I realize why that pigeon was there and so it's it's sort of like little parts of my brain leaving myself little presents and little easter eggs to pick up and pull through little threads to pull through as I revise I love that yeah, so I'm I'm glad that you're beginning to to learn the beauty of revision. It's um, I think that that's where the real beauty is, and the and the real uh, joy in writing. And speaking of writing and writing tips, we've got to talk about detail. I said it in the beginning. You added so much detail to your writing, and that's a subject we talk about all the time in English class. And you certainly knocked that key aspect of all middle grade stories with Pawn out of the park. Your writing is just so detailed and also really captivating. I found myself traveling along with Bo in all his adventures and being able to capture your readers and draw them into a story is such an amazing skill and it's something that only the most talented of writers can do. So can you share a couple of writing tips for aspiring authors such as myself? Oh, absolutely. I think one of the real keys is to dive into the world with all of your senses. Hmm. What does it smell like? What does it sound like? What does it taste like? What does the food taste like? You know, to me, obviously the world, a medieval time period is gonna smell so different than the world that I walk out into. It's going to sound different than the world that I live in. And I'm constantly trying to really put all of my senses into the world in which I'm creating. And I think that when we can draw our our readers in so that they can hear it, smell it, taste it, feel it, that really, Uh, allows a reader to feel like that they are right there with that main character. Uh, So think about the sensory, right? I think that's an important uh, piece of writing advice. When you're, well, you know what? Whether you're writing fantasy or you're writing contemporary realistic, it doesn't matter. You want to really think about the world that you're creating. 
uh, and think about things that will never even show up on the page. You could uh, think about what do people eat? Where does the food come from? What, how, what's the, what's the currency of exchange? What's the history of that currency? Who's the president? Even if you don't, that never even plays into the story. You want to know your world in its in, in its totality, even though mm, 97% of all of that is not going to wind up on the page per se, but it's going to inform your characters and who they are and how they see the world and what they believe and what they want and what they're willing to do to get it. I love that. You are so, so right. And I also have never really thought, like, I hear people talking about sensory and adding it into the pages, but I've also never really thought about it. Like, you add sensory even when it's not going to be on the pages because you learn about your protagonist that way. That really makes a lot of sense. I need to start writing like that. And all mm -hmm. you aspiring authors out there, I think you're going to start, you should do that as well. I better get on that after this interview. And speaking <laughs> of you know, writing tips and all that. Your book has multiple points of view, which is a writing style I love. When there are multiple points of view, you get to hear about all these different story parts from the eyes of so many different people. Like one character, one, it's so much like life. One person might see this event like this, from this angle, like someone did something bad. The other person might be doing that bad thing because they they need to do that. And multiple points of view add so much depth to the book. And I'm just curious to know, how do you tackle multiple points of view, yet still manage to keep the story in the right timeline and just on track in general? Yeah, that was a challenge, I have to tell you, because um, we're, we're following. So for anybody who hasn't read it, there's a rhythm to the to the POV switch. We mm -hmm. spend two chapters with Bo and one with Cressy two with Bo, one with Cressy, until the end of the book when they merge and they come together and then we remain only in Bo's point of view. Um, what I did actually after I drafted is I would read just Bo's story, just as one book. I would skip the, the Cressy chapters mm. and then I would read just the Cressy chapters because I needed to make sure that his uh, through line was straight and going through and what he knew was uh, was building and the same for her. And then I had to make sure that uh, when they both learned, uh, they would learn facts at different times from each other, right? Like Bo would maybe would know something and then two chapters later, Cressy would learn it. You don't want to retread the same information over and over again for the reader, right? Because the reader already knows it. Uh, so I had to, that was a really great challenge is how do we make sure that we, okay, Cressy has now learned this and we can pull it through without, without stomping over the yeah. same ground again. Uh, so it was a really fun challenge for me. Actually, I will tell you when I first wrote the book, I'm going to tell you two things. When I sold this book, there were three points of view. Really? Yeah. And Fledge was one of the points of view. And Fledge, who's an adult character in this book, uh, was, was a little bit different than who he is in this draft. 
Um, the other thing I will tell you about this book is after I sold it and I met with my editor and we discussed what we needed to do, I took the book as it existed. Uh, I like to say I wadded it up into like a giant 365 page ball of paper and I tossed it over my shoulder and I started again from scratch and told the book and wrote the book fresh new with just two POVs uh, the character of Fledge and some other characters changed the arc of the story what happened Bo's journey never changed but how the story rolled out did change so don't ever be afraid of revision, I like to say. That seems like such a daunting task, throwing 365 pages into the trash can, like, okay, that's kind of useless. And now to start... Yeah, but it's not useless, right? Because yeah. I learned so much about the world and I and I had done it once. There's a lot of writers who write like this all the time. I believe Kate Camillo writes this way all the time. Really? She writes a book. She throws it out. She never looks at it again, and she rewrites it. You write that it's not entirely useless because what you learn about the characters and the journey from that, um, it still helps you along the way. And uh, valuable, yeah. I still can't believe that people throw their entire book in the tr in uh, away. But you know, maybe one day that'll happen to me, and I feel like. I mean, there's no such thing as being ready for that, but I'll be as ready as I can ever be. And <laughs> you let me know if that happens and I'll, I'll give you the encouragement that you need. I, I think that we tend to get really, uh, you know, married to our words. And yeah. we think, oh, this is such a beautiful passage or this chapter is so perfect. And it is, and it was, but if it's not serving the story the way it, the story needs to be served, then, you know, thanks yeah. and let's do it again. Now, I'm really sad to say it's time for the final question. The question I ask everyone I interview, not just in October. If you could be or meet any literary character, fictional or real, who would it be and why? Uh, character or writer? Can we say writer? It, it could be either. Okay. Um, I, well, here, so I'll give you two answers. I would have, I would love to meet E.B. White. I love his books. To this day, I cannot even say the title Charlotte's Web without wanting to cry. Um, I know Stuart Little is a little weird, but I have such great memories of Stuart Little as a kid, uh, The Trumpet of the Swan. I just, he's, his, uh, his love for the world, his love for nature, his love for uh, humanity is just so beautiful. But I do know that he was a very shy person as well. Um, there are stories he worked, he wrote for a magazine called The New Yorker, and supposedly he would like climb onto the fire escape out of his office to avoid having to talk to people. He was very shy. He was a very truly introverted writer. So I'm sure Mr. White would not want to meet me. So then I would want to meet Charlotte. I want to meet Charlotte. Everyone would want to. She is, Charlotte is the best. She really is. She really, really is. She's beautiful. So those are two awesome answers. And what a way to end one of my favorite interviews I've had. Thank you so much, Alyssa, for joining me today. And everyone, my guest today has been the super talented, as you can tell, and wonderful Alyssa Wishingrad. I mean, when you like revising your book, 
you know that you're an amazing author. <laughs> and Alyssa is the debut author of the thrilling, magical, and uniting, and instant classic, as I've heard so many people say, and I agree, middle grade read, The Vertigree Pong. I'm so glad you were able to sit down and talk about your writing journey with me and our listeners. Thank you so, so much for having me, E-Train. This was an absolute pleasure. And um, thank you for all you're doing for the middle grade readers and promoting literacy and sharing books with people. And um, it's just wonderful to see your act your activity in the in the community. It's wonderful. Thank you. And you yourself as well. Also, happy belated birthday, because I saw that you hosted a giveaway for your birthday of the Vertigree Pond, and it got an amazing response, as it should. And it's just been so fun listening to your answers and learning more about the storyteller behind Pond. And I cannot wait until your newest novel, Between Monsters and Marvels, which comes out next year. And I'd love to have you come back and talk about your next thrilling book. But until then... You can all follow Alyssa's writing journey, and I can as well, on social media, as well as her website, alyssawishingrad.com. Links are in the description. And thanks again, Alyssa. Your answers to my questions were insightful, interesting, and it's just been a huge pleasure talking with you. And sadly, all amazing, beautiful, awesome, super cool things must come to an end. But... Thank you so much for the time you spent with me today on E-Train Talks, and I absolutely love getting to talk with such incredible middle-grade storytellers. And until next time, everyone, keep reading, stay safe, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.